Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Go to Matthew 18. I might tell you later. I think it might get me in trouble. Matthew 18, verse 10, and it says this, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see my face and my Father's face who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the 99, like we were singing this morning, and go to the mountains and seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Last week, I was in this series, still in this series. It was called Salt Shakers. The name of this, the title of this message is called Seekers. Salt Shakers and Seekers. That's a hashtag, salt shakers and seekers, that's a tongue twister. I want to entitle this message, Seekers, because that is one of the DNAs of this church, is to reach out to lost people, to seek out lost people, not just to congregate as a church, come in here, have a good time, Holy Spirit filled, God doing something in our hearts, infusing us with his power, and we walk out of the doors and do nothing about it. We want to be a church that if we gather together, God wants to give his power. He doesn't give his power to people who are going to properly use it and appropriate it. Amen? So when we get together as a church, one of the DNAs of this church is to go out there and seek the lost. Amen? Freely you have given. Freely receive. And there's four points I want to make um, as as a soul-winning church, as that is one of our DNAs, something that we want to begin to operate in. And I have to be honest with you, I don't think that I have personally done a great job at it, and I certainly don't think that you should if I'm not, amen? But it's one of my desires because it's God's desire. The reason Jesus left heaven was to seek out the nine, I'm sorry, the one. He left the 99 to seek the one. He left heaven to seek us out. So one of God's hearts, one of the DNA of God's heart is to be a seeker. Somebody say seeker. Seeker. To seek and save the lost. Point number one, if we're going to be seekers, we must value souls. Somebody say value souls. I want to break down this text. It's four verses. I want to break it down one by one and, and make these four points. Number one is value souls. It's in verse 10. It says this, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. That means nobody, believer or unbeliever, doesn't matter. The people you pass on the street smoking a cigarette or smoking things that they shouldn't be smoking or smelling like something that they shouldn't smell like or dressing in a way that doesn't look like you or walking in a way that doesn't appease you. Do not despise one of these little ones because they are God's children who have a destiny and a purpose and a God-given design to do something great in the earth. A soul that we are to value. And every person is God's child. Every person. Even if they look like the devil and act like the devil's third cousin, they're still God's kid. And this verse says it like this, take heed that you don't despise one of those little ones. For for I say unto you that in heaven, their angels, in other words, their assigned angels always see the face of my father, who is in heaven. In my early life, I have to be honest with you, as a follower of Christ, 
To my shame, I was an expert at judging people. Looking back, to be honest with you, it makes me quite sick to my stomach. As I looked down at people who didn't look like me or attend church as much as I did, I was in church probably about, about four days a week. I know that's shocking, and I did that for probably over a decade. But if you didn't speak fluent Christianese, I probably wasn't going to hang out with you very much, which is a shame because Jesus did anything but that. As a matter of fact, the religious leaders wanted nothing to do with him. The Bible says that to associate with the lowly. And so as I begin to have this disposition towards people, it showed that I was just more concerned about my growth than I was about the souls of people, not realizing that the people that I was judging was the very people God wanted to reach in and through my life. And there's people that work on your job and who live next door to you. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever even spoken to your next door neighbors? Jesus would spend hours out in the sun waiting at the well. Again, I can do better at this, but that was the kind of disposition, the kind of attitude I had to a lost and dying world, not really realizing that God wanted to empower me to be his hands and his feet, to be salt and light in the earth, to win a dying generation. Amen? And there are many Christians who act just like this, and it's not because they're bad people. It's not because they're not Christians. It's simply they don't have a revelation, a real revelation, somebody say a real revelation, of what God actually did for you and the extent that he went to for you and for me. Because if you really realize what the worth of Jesus' blood was, you wouldn't judge anyone. Smith Wigglesworth said it like this, if you were to take one week judging and examining yourself, it'd make you sick to your stomach and you'd never judge another person. Because then you would have a lifetime of checklists of things to do. But too often time, the enemy blinds us of our own failures, our own downfalls, our own logs in our eyes, and we're blinded to that fact, and we like to spend our time gossiping about somebody else. This is a trap of the enemy. And the Lord, the, the enemy wants to use you. Somebody say the enemy. He wants to use you to spend your valuable time judging other people and expending your energy criticizing them versus figuring out a way to win them for the Lord. Amen, preacher. When we see a lost person, we should grieve for them. These are his kids. In Matthew 9, verse 10, it says this, those who are well have no need of a physician. This is what Jesus said when he was being criticized by the religious leaders. Why do you eat and drink with sinners? And that was his response. And I thought about this. I want you to show this sculpture, um, if you have it. This sculpture that you're seeing, if it's up on the screen, this is King David just before he's about to make his monumentous victory over Goliath. This carving was built and carved by hand by Michelangelo hundreds of years ago. I don't know if you've seen it up close and in detail. My friends, Sean and Chantel have. And it's amazing the detail, the intricate detail that is in this sculpture. It's about 13 feet tall. It's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, I'm sure. And I, I love what Michelangelo 
quote quoted about this particular sculpture. And I think this relates to the people that we see and encounter on a daily basis in our workplaces. Our spouses look straight ahead. (laughs) This is what Michelangelo said. Every block of stone has a statue inside of it. And it is the task of the sculpturer to discover it. I saw an angel in the marble and I carved it until I set him free. If we were to have this kind of revelation about people, if we could understand that God puts something on the inside of them, although sin has stained them like crimson, there is, a, there is a marble, a statue inside each and every individual in this place. If we were to simply take the God-given time that, was, that has been allotted to us to mentor them, to love on them, to, to, to share Christ with them, we would one day see something come forth as pure as gold. Amen. And this is one reason why Moses, I have to address this because Moses wants to share something with you at the very end of service. The moment I seen Moses and encountered him and worked with him, I seen something on the inside of you. And I seen how he had been bypassed by so many other leaders. And I knew there was something in me that said, there is a David inside that shepherd. He, he only lacked an opportunity. And so I wanted to have the, the innate privilege of giving him a stone and a sling to practice his aim, to get him ready for his Goliath. So for the past year, I've had the incredible privilege on saying, come forth. Because the moment I laid eyes on you, I seen an angel, I seen the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, and I just wanted to take this past year to carve until I seen come forth what I knew that has been there the whole time. And that is the way we should treat people. Inside every wayward girl is a faithful wife. Inside every passive husband is a lion-like leader. Inside every addicted person is a trusted servant of the Lord. Inside every angry heart, man or woman, is a gentle, loving person. If we were to see the statue inside the marble. We must gain again a value for the souls of people. Amen? Point number two. We must develop a burden as a church. We have to get past just congregating. And I think we've done that well for the past 12 months. And I have failed at this, as I've said before, but I have of late begun to recently begin to pray and intercede that God would develop in me a greater burden for lost people who are hurting, who need the Lord, who need an opportunity Plants don't start off blooming. Flowers don't start off in a bloom right away. They start off being sowed into. They start off being watered. They start off being fertilized. We must develop a burden for people. In verse 11, it says this, for the son of man has come to save that which was lost. God sternly warns us in the word of God about burdens. Cast aside your cares for I care for you. Burden often leads people into depression. 
So biblically speaking, you would say, preacher, I hear you saying I should have a burden, but that doesn't sound very biblical. But actually, it's very biblical. There's one area in the Bible where God, where, whereby God condones having a certain burden, and that burden is for lost people, people who are hurting, people who need the God that's on the inside of you, people who need some encouragement. Amen? There's a, there's a scripture that says, bear each other's burdens. A burden for souls. Somebody say, give me a burden for souls. My daughter, Zoe, she's 17 months as of this past week. She's so cute. She's, um, she's starting to not just walk, she's running. And um, I'm thinking about getting those little uh, dog walking retractors, <laughs> possibly even a shock collar. Do they make shock collars? No, I won't get a shock collar. We've been, we brought her to Aquatica yesterday and it's like, I turn around and she's gone. And it's, it's just, it's just hilarious to see her, you know, just grow up and develop. She's just keeping me on my toes, keeping me young. I see why people have kids in their twenties, 34. I guess we're just gluttons for punishment. One moment she's holding on my pant leg, pulling on me. And the next minute she's disappeared out of thin air like Houdini. And, um, so I turn around and, and, and she's gone. And, and, and if you were to see my disposition, one of that, that is very casual, if my daughter were to disappear and say, I wonder where Zoe went and gone about my business just casually, you would probably begin to question uh, me as a father. And if my wife had that same attitude, there are a lot of people who act super spiritual about lost people. They'll, you know, God will deal with them and they have no real passion or burden for people. But you would question that in me. I think about the Brunsons in the back who, if their daughter wandered off or crawled off on how they would act, they love her so dearly, she's so very cute. But that is how much of the body of Christ acts when we walk, and walk by people on a daily basis who, who do not know the Lord because we're, we're too busy. We have to make it to work or we have to make our coffee appointment with a friend. But we have to gain in this hour, especially in this hour, it is critical that we develop as a church, as a person, as people, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, a burden for lost people. Amen. And so when I seen my daughter gone, I frantically went looking for her. But this is the attitude of the father. When one goes astray or one falls and stumbles, whether it be Christian or somebody who's just went astray, who's a Christian, who's wandered from the Lord, we as people as people have to gain a burden again, and we must pray for it. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. For years and years, over a decade as a Christian, I loved going to church and attending conferences and reading the Bible, but I couldn't care less about people who were lost. But now as I'm growing in my faith, can I be honest this morning? Is this a place that I can be honest? But as I'm growing more and more and I'm seeing people and their lifestyles and how they're hurting I'm beginning to gain a burden because it's only by the work of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life that he can actually give you that desire and give you that burden. Amen? It's not by might or by power. It's by the Spirit of God working on the inside of our hearts. I see this generation. I see us as a church as if we're on the Titanic. We gather on Sunday mornings and on Thursday we're standing in the bow of the boat playing the violin, enjoying the ride, enjoying the music and enjoying Matt and enjoying Kelly and enjoying Melanie's worship and the entire team. All the while, there's an iceberg right ahead. There's plenty of people that are in front of you 
in your sphere of influence who are headed for an iceberg while we comfortly go to church on Sunday morning and play our violins. There has to be a sense of urgency for people in this hour. There has to be an urgency. And we have to ring that bell and say, iceberg, right ahead. Amen? Point number three, seek the lost. I want you to turn with me, Matthew 18, 12 through 13, as I go through each scripture. It says this, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that go astray. If you think about what Jesus experienced as he left heaven, think about the comforts of heaven. The other day, I was watching, was it uh, Ice Age? It's with the, it's the animation movie. And um, God, this is funny. This comes to mind. I, just wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared for this at all, but maybe you guys will get a laugh. Do you know they always have this short film clip of the squirrel who's after the the acorn. It's hilarious every time I get a chance to see it. So long story short is this squirrel dies and he goes to heaven and he goes up to the pearly gates and the gates open for him and the smoke of glory is coming out. And as he begins to approach the throne, it's not a throne, it's a giant acorn about 200 foot tall. And he's walking towards this acorn. It's such a place of peace and joy and just contentment. And he reaches out his hand and he goes to touch this acorn as he's about to dive into it and start eating it. Um, down on earth, there's somebody doing compressions on him and doing mouth to mouth. And so he gets sucked out of the pearly gates away from his big giant acorn and back into his body and then tries to kill the person who just revived him. Can you imagine God leaving the throne? Can you think about how he left for you, the 99? This should, this should ignite passion in your heart. Imagine the glories and the comforts and the pleasures, everything that God had, I'm sure he was contented with, yet he wasn't because there was still one astray. You were still on earth, here on earth, so he had to go inside of a human body, experience what we experience, experience the, the pains of life, the separation from God the Father, all to come rescue you and me. When I think about the night I was, I had this encounter with the Lord that will for, has forever changed my life. I've only shared it one time publicly. To keep the story short, some of you weren't here, some of you may have been. I was literally under a wheelbarrow in all of Orange County. I was hiding. It's the only thing I could find in the shed with the canine dogs barking at me and all the, 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 the helicopters above my head, it felt like it was 150 feet above my head. You could almost feel the wind of the blades, and I heard them over the intercom. Mr. Smith, come out of the house with your hands up. And as I have this wheelbarrow over me, I have this encounter with the Lord that will has forever changed me. I've never had an open vision since then. It's been many years since then. And I thought about this song as they were singing this morning, Melanie. You were singing, and I asked you to sing it. It was it's called reckless love. And I, and I thought how God broke the rules for me. That's what he means. That's what the song means. That's what Corey meant when he wrote that song. I believe he wrote the song, right? Corey Asbury, he, he, he's reckless, meaning God will break every religious rule to go after you. 
And if God will break all the religious rules and, and how difficult that must have been for him to leave the glories and the comforts of heaven, yet while we're sitting in our cubicle or at our desk at work while there's other people who are dying and hurting and lost, how can we sit by casually and be okay with that as the body of Christ? Our brothers and sisters are hurting and separated from the Lord. So I pray that that would be the cry of this church's heart, not just, to, not just to reach up into an intimate relationship with God. That's foundational. That's true. Not just to reach forward into our calling, into our purpose, to, to enter into a place that God has designed for us and predestined for us, but also to develop a heart cry for lost people so that we can be duplicates in the kingdom. Amen? Is everybody okay this morning? I thought about how evident we all as a team almost cried together as we were coming back from Guatemala, didn't we? We knew the realities that awaited us. It's because we were constantly in, in Guatemala. It was like God just was perpetual. One, every, every day there was something, miracle, God showing up in some kind of way. And it showed me a very, very important lesson. Now, I see why Nathan Morris travels all over and I'm, I'm sure it's, it's easy to, to get addicted to that in many ways because when we were there, God was just moving so perpetually, effortlessly, effortlessly. And we were, we were really concerned about coming back. We said, we don't want to come out of this. We knew that the mundane would kick back in and, and certain enough, the next week at home, it was like a dream. Somebody said that to me the other day. It was like a dream when we were there. And it certainly was to see how God moved. I can't even, I can't even tell you everything that happened. It would, it would take an hour of this service to share with you all that God did and how he moved my heart and our hearts. But it was because God was moving because we were constantly in a posture of seeking to be an answer to people. God does not endow his power where it will, where, where it will not be utilized. So that taught me an important lesson. The reason we don't see the gospel at work in our lives is because we're not looking for opportunities to be the gospel. Did y'all just hear what I said? God does not frivolously hand out his bread that you're not gonna then hand out for him. So we're all praying for a move of God. God, move through me. Do something in my life. Do something radical in my life. And we're looking for blessings for ourselves, not getting the revelation that where if we were to be a blessing, God would then work on our behalf and meet our needs, as I shared with you last week. So as we're out there, let's be seekers. Let's turn over every rock until every lost person is found. There should not be anybody on your block, and I'm speaking to myself. There should not, you should not allow anybody to walk by you. I'm not saying be weird, be spiritually weird, but when you engage engage in a conversation, seek for an opportunity, an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, even if, it's, even if it just means you being a light and salt to them. Amen. We don't want to beat them over the head, but we want to be salt and we want to be light. We want to be attractive people for the gospel's sake. Amen. Far too many people are a turnoff. And there's nothing worse than a frozen chosen person. Somebody I know who's going to heaven, but as cold as ice. It's not attractive in their relationship with God. Amen. Number four, and I'll close. Leave no one behind. Look at somebody and say, leave no one behind. We have to be a church that has the position where we have the heart to see nobody lost. And this is the last verse. I want you to read it with me. 
It's found in verse 14. It says, even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Worship team, you can come up. These days, God is going through great lengths to see his people saved. Do you see what's happening in our nation? Do you see what's happening in our government? Do you see what's happening in the people all around you? God is up to shaking things that can be shaken so that the things that remain are the things that are supposed to be there. God is shaking this church. He's shaking the church at large. He's shaking the city. He's shaking the nations of the world. Why? Because he's going to great lengths to make sure that his body knows, I am coming soon. Prepare for my coming. Prepare your own homes. Prepare your own life and relationship with God, but also prepare by seeking the lost and leaving none behind. I want to read this scripture. It's a little bit lengthy. It's a, it's a few verses long, but do you mind if I read it? It says this, and Jesus responded by telling more stories. God's kingdom, he said, is like a king who threw a wedding banquet for his son. This is in Matthew 22, verse 1 through 10. He sent out servants to call all and invited the guest, and they wouldn't come. They only shrugged their shoulders. This is in the Message Bible again. They shrugged their shoulders and went off. One to weed his garden, another to work in his shop, and the rest, with nothing better to do, beat up the messengers and killed them. The king was outraged and sent his soldiers to destroy those thugs and level their cities. Then he told his servants, we have a wedding banquet. All are prepared, but there are no guests. The ones I invited, they weren't up to it. Go into the busiest intersections in the town and invite everyone, everyone you find to the banquet. The servants went out onto the streets and rounded up everyone they laid eyes on, good and bad, regardless. And so the banquet was on, every place filled. He sent out another round of servants, instructing them to tell the guests, look, everything is on the table. The prime rib is ready, ready for carving. Come to the feast. I have something special I wanted to tell my family this morning. I've been waiting years and years to tell you this. My papa... Robert, he was on his deathbed. I never told you guys this. I felt today was the day because I wanna encourage you as my family to leave no one left behind, no one left behind. So as my papa is laying on his deathbed, I asked him if he wanted to receive Christ. So he grabbed our hand. It was me and my brother there. And um, he, he, he prayed the Lord's Prayer. And he admitted to me and my brother, he's, he never got a chance to tell you this, but I'm telling you. He accepted Jesus right on the spot. He grabbed our hands and he said, I, I acknowledge that I have been a sinner. I acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so before he took his last breath, He's waiting for us. He's waiting for us. The guy who murdered my dad, I had the opportunity to grab him by the hand. The guy who had to do, had to do with the murder of my father. 
and I accept, he accepted Jesus Christ. He said, I don't know, but you are nothing like your dad. And this is a guy who helped conjure up the murder of my own dad. Why, why is a human being able to do that in love? Because when I see the great lengths that God has gone, a drug dealer, a wayward man, a sinner, when I've seen the great lengths that God has gone for me, I have made up in my mind to leave no one behind in spite of what they've done for me and in, in spite of what anyone's ever done for you. My prayer as you stand and my exhortation to you is this week, forgive who you have to forgive. Make right with those people you have to make things right with. And I encourage you to go to great lengths to make sure that there is no one who's left behind. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.